Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I am of course your lovely host Mike and today I I wanted to clear up something. I've been seeing this particular comment floating around by lots of different people some of whom I'm pretty sure know better but are just trying to win a particular argument. I won't say if it's a ideologically driven argument but it could be. That particular thing that I'm talking about, of course, is that of film budgets. And this really came around back in 2016 when the Ghostbusters reboot or remake or whatever the hell it was came out. And after it had gone and had done the rounds in the theaters, it came back and it's like, and people were holding up the amount of money it made and comparing that to the amount of money that uh, the studio was saying it spent on production and saying, see, it's not a flop. It made more than its production. Well, here's the thing. This is where the misconception is, where some people, I think, quite innocently don't know. They don't understand how film budgeting actually works. And there are those who I think are being uh, willfully ignorant or willfully obtuse simply to win an ideologically driven argument. The way film budgeting works is this. The first number that you often hear about what it takes to produce a film, that's the number that the film studio has budgeted for that film to be made from pre-production, production, and post-production work. And that is it. That's it. That's the amount that's spent in order to make this film. To hire up all the actors, directors, writers, so on and so forth, and set up scenes, and then have all the editing work done. That is the amount that is given. Uh, we'll use a number of $100 million. It seems fairly small for a lot of the big-budget films these days, but we'll go with that. It's easy, easy math. And then it goes out, it's distributed, and it gets, it, it's able to make a hundred million. Here's a couple of things that people really don't know and maybe don't understand. A vast majority. There's a few that do, and I do think that they are simply trying to win an argument by being willfully obtuse. The way it works when a film is distributed. First off, when it gets to the theater, it's not as if 100% of the proceeds goes to the studio. What happens is, is whatever price is set at the door for admittance, half of that goes back to the studio. So if they went out and $100 million was made at the theater, half of that was made and given to the studio. The other half goes, of course, to the theaters themselves. That's why theaters actually do not rely on the amount of money for admittance. They actually rely quite heavily on the concession stand. That's where movie theaters make their money, by selling you popcorn, soft drinks, and candy. That's where they make their money. A lot of people don't, don't actually know that. Now, the theater theaters aside, the studios, now they go and they have other costs that they never quite mention. The cost of actually distributing the film, getting it out there, getting it to the particular theaters 
depending on what kind of release, whether it's limited, uh, regional, or nation or international release. You have to go through distributors in order to get that. It's kind of a built-in middleman between the theaters and the studios. Now, the next cost that quite often is overlooked is the marketing cost. Now, I saw an article, and I think it was Investopedia, I believe, and they had used uh, the example of a $60 million film. So it's a fairly low budget by Hollywood standards. And they said it would be, for marketing distribution costs, would add about another $35 million. For a low budget film of $60 million, I would say that's probably fairly close to accurate. We'll say it's pretty close to accurate, you know, about 55% of cost for production. Now, the thing that I don't think uh, the writer for Investopedia really, really got, or that a lot of people actually understand, is that the bigger the film, the bigger the marketing budget. Because, of course, if it's a big film, you want to get as much out there as possible so you can get as many people in as possible get them excited and get them to really come in and watch it not once or twice but you know four or five six times as many times as humanly possible they theaters uh, want to be at full capacity and so the studios want to make as much money so they want full theaters all the time this is good for the studio and it's good for the theaters themselves so they work pretty well hand in hand in this and people would say, well, cool, okay, sure. You know, you, you pay out for the, for the distribution of said films to the from the studio to the theaters. Got that. And marketing, so, you know, TV spots, radio ads, newspaper ads, that sort of, that sort of thing. It act the higher the budget, far more in terms of marketing comes into play. I want you to think back again to the uh, 2016 Ghostbusters. Where did you see advertising for it? You saw it on, you know, online in places like YouTube. Uh, they bought advertising space on websites. They had, naturally, TV spots. They had uh, radio spots to let people know. They had, in a few cases, uh, newspaper spots. They also had uh, product tie-ins, things that they'd done in the past, you know, Things like uh, they think they brought back Ecto Cooler, so on high C, on uh, yogurts and ver uh, various uh, snacky stuff. Lots of Frito Lay products ended up getting emblazoned with this, and to get uh, you know so much off for a ticket. All of these things are not done out of the goodness of the company's heart out of the heart of you know the Frito-Lay executives yeah they don't have hearts it was a paid for deal you pay us this amount and we will go ahead and start adding your particular advertisement for your film onto our products we're doing you a service so you need to pay us for said service various deals go back and forth for these not to mention, you also have, and especially in the case of the nostalgic films that had uh, toy tie-ins, there are deals that are being made. So the ha you know you have the Hasbro's and the Mattels of the world who are getting these deals in order to be licensed to be able to make these toys. Now, in that case, 
places like Mattel and Hasbro actually uh, purchase licensing in order to make it. And then there's a uh, kind of a kickback, as it were. So when Mattel makes money, you know, they're paying licensing fees. But that's that doesn't actually, you know, generate you any profit immediately. That's much well after when the film comes out. Uh, franchises often do this, and they look towards not the actual box office money they make, but the uh, franchise, the franchising of their property in order to sell, you know, toys and merch and all sorts of shit, and that's what makes their money. But all of these marketing deals, all of these distributions deals that they have to make, that goes up and it gets exponentially larger because they want, you know, the bigger the budget, of course, the more money they need to make in order to justify the cost to their investors. So something like Avengers Endgame had a big budget, an enormous budget, and it needed to justify that with its investors. So you saw, you know, advertising spots for that freaking everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And in, you know, in primetime spots. And that costs. It costs big. It's not as if they got special deals. Of course they don't. Movie theaters and TV stations tend to compete against each other. Both want the same sets of eyes watching their stuff. And if TV's going to give advertising spot, they're going to want a fair bit of cheddar. Now... Going back to Ghostbusters 2016, Ghostbusters 2016 was a fairly large budget film for Sony, for Sony Pictures. It was uh, lavishly, lavishly spent. Now, I don't, I'm not going to suggest that they had a budget near the size of Avengers. They didn't. They clearly didn't. Avengers had an enormous budget, and Ghostbusters 2016 had a large budget. But they still put out quite a bit of advertising. If we were to follow the uh, Investopedia writer's uh, particular thought, it would be about 55%. So about, let's say, $200 million. So about, mm, say about a hundred and... Let's say about 120 million added on. So that's 320 million dollars, and that's being very fairly conservative. I would probably estimate that probably closer to 180 million in its marketing, putting it closer to 400, 500 million, which is actually a number that's been thrown around by that had been thrown around at the time by a lot of. Uh, people who were in the know in the industry that it's it was much closer to about 500 million overall budget not just production budget and we all know kind of where the budgetary the amounts brought in by the box office how high it got it got what was it about 270 280 million around about there under 300 million so the argument of, you know, was it a flop or not, that's pretty clearly answerable. It was a flop. It clearly was a flop. It did not make its money back. It made its production money back, 
but it sure as hell didn't make its advertisement money back. And this is where I think the argument really is. People don't understand where the budgetary concerns when it comes to marketing, because the studios will never mention the marketing costs. They just won't. They'll only mention the production cost. So when they look at, say, Avengers Endgame, and they say, look, it's an enormous, it's this incredible, enormous film, and it cost us $1 billion in production. Uh, holy shit. It's marketing is more than a lot of films in that instance. I'm, it, that's not the real number. I'm just using that as kind of a as a given. So so when you have when you hear someone's like you know there was a film and it's like look it made its production budget back. You can always look at them and say okay, but did it make its production and its marketing money back? And the rule of thumb is, you know, half to two times, depending on its scale, where it fits. Uh, Ghostbusters 2016 would be considered a, uh, not a, it would, it would be considered big budget. It would just, it would fall into big budget. It would not be lavish budget kind of film. The Avengers Endgame was definitely a lavish budget. So it's it's comfortable with a big budget. You know, $200 million or more would be big budget, in my opinion. And when it comes to something about big budget, about right around there, I would say that it was probably closer to one and a half of the production. It was its production cost plus half more. That would be my best guess estimate. And that and the range for that one was, because, again, they'll never tell you the amount, range between 450 to 570, I think, million, with all costs taken into consideration. I really do think that uh, that particular argument was driven by... Uh, ignorance on film budgeting because of course studios are never going to come out and say yeah you know it's a 200 million dollar production that we're doing oh and by the way we're going to go ahead and we're going to uh, do about 250 million dollars in simply marketing they're never going to tell you that never they only want to tell you about the production and that it made made its production money back it never wants to tell you about the marketing failure. But never forget that these film that the studios always know the money, the amount. And they're always trying to find ways in order to make that money. So if you have a hundred million dollar film on the line and they're willing to spend another fifty to a hundred million in marketing on you, and you're able to turn a profit of three to four hundred million you only did okay that's why you'll see you know films that did make their money but they didn't make a lot of money you know it's a hundred they say oh yeah it's a hundred million dollar budget film and they made three four hundred million and studios are not like yeah great job everybody definitely sequels are gonna definitely be coming out 
they get very quiet and they're like, we'll see, we'll see. That's because it made money, but not enough. And investors get skittish. They want to make their money back and then some. Because they don't want some of the money. They want all the money. That's how this works. Now, when it comes to uh, the, these folks who are arguing that it, something like, for example, Ghostbusters 2016 again, made its money, but they're in the know. They're, they've, they know the inner workings of the industry, and they've talked about it in the past. And yet now, all of a sudden, they're like, no, no, it's not a flop because it made its production money. I have to call bullshit on those guys on all of them, who try to pull that line. You know better. You really know better. Why are you trying to gaslight everybody by saying, no, no, you see, because it made its production value, it can't be labeled as a flop. Because it made its production money doesn't mean it's a success. Clearly, as we look as the years have gone by, four years now, for Ghostbusters 2016, it's a flop, and they came out with an Ivan Reitman-led film, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and are quietly sweeping Ghostbusters 2016 under the rug and away from sight because it was a flop. The studio sees it as a flop, and they're not about to risk it again. That's simply the way it is. There's no point in dancing around that subject. There just isn't. And this continues to go on with a number of films, mainly because of the ideological overtones or undertones, depending on how it's portrayed especially with things like Ghostbusters 2016 under Kathleen Kennedy, uh, Lucasfilm's Star Wars trilogy under Kathleen Kennedy. I see a trend. I do see a trend there. Huh. Anywho, when you have a film that is ideologically driven, you know what? You can make that film. You really can. I won't stop you, and I won't care. Make it, by all means. But when you get pissy about the fact that fans of a franchise that you've decided to take and mold into your own version of ideological perfection and then are shocked, bewildered, and angry at the fact that the fans hate it, so you attack the fans, really that's a really piss-poor business decision. And it shows. It, it really shows. At least with Ghostbusters 2016. When it came to the Star Wars, that's a completely different thing. And I will talk about it. In fact, I have been planning a new segment that I've been wanting to do for the show. I've been wanting to do what, uh, what went wrong when it came to a film. And would be kind of like a recurring thing. And I think the very first one I probably would want to do would be on the uh, Star Wars Disney trilogy, or the sequel trilogy, however you want to put it. You know, the Kathleen Kennedy disaster train, I don't know. However you want to put it. 
But I do think it's worth, it really is worth looking into how that thing failed, even though technically it, they all three made their money. They did. They really did make their money, and I, I will give no bones about that. They made their money. They made their production, and they made their marketing money, but they failed to do what they were supposed to do. But we'll dive into that in that particular segment I have planned. And I might want to make that a recurring thing, you know, what had happened. But yeah, I've, I have noticed, especially in the, since 2016, probably a bit, well, no, about 2016 is really when it started. It was right around the time of uh, Ghostbusters 2016, was when movie studios certain ones would start to I guess generate online buzz by antagonizing fans and doing really really stupid things all in the mistaken belief that you know no there's no such thing as bad press oh but there is there is such a thing as bad press especially if you're making a product, which is what movies are, they're a product for general consumption. It's a form of entertainment. Entertainment is something that actually gets cut out of budgets when times are tough and when they think that they're not going to get anything that's worthwhile. And there's no value. And if you're antagonizing a huge fan base, and saying shit like, you know, this film isn't made for you, whether that you is because of uh, sexual orientation or your gender or your skin color or any a combination of the above, and you're constantly being told this film isn't for you and then are shocked when they don't show up because that was the majority of the fan base who were willing to watch it. Come on. I mean, there's just... Uh, it really is something that's that's worth deep diving, to be perfectly honest. If you're... If you are a film student, a film buff, you know, a lover of cinema, I would really like to know how this kind of period in time how this really kind of jives with your idea of the film industry or with the past. I think that would be an interesting conversation to kind of look at the film industry of the past and see how it's kind of progressed to this particular moment. And I have a strong feeling, and it's just a feeling, that with the rise of uh, social media, and the fact that everyone realized that there was a real power in social media, getting thoughts out there, getting uh, brand recognition, sometimes overnight for just average people. Look at any Instagram butt model. All you need is a nice butt and a couple of good glamour shots, and all of a sudden, boom, you're internet famous. Uh, viral videos on YouTube that used to happen quite a bit. You could become a huge internet star that can translate sometimes to places like Hollywood. And it was because I think of the power 
of social media and the fact that you have this small number of these really annoying people who were being the loudest, the most often, and most consistently got people in, in executive suits in places like Sony Pictures and, and Disney and Universal, so on and so forth, and got them to think that maybe, just maybe, this is what the audience wants, that this is what the general population wants because clearly we're, we're hearing non-stop about all of these things. And that's not true at all. And it's I think it's starting to dawn on a couple of these studios who decided to go headfirst into the whole ideological culture war kind of thing with their product. And they took a pasting in the case of Sony and they lost a lot of goodwill and a lot of merchandising revenue on the side of Disney. So, honestly, it, if you're someone who's really worried about the idea that all films are going to end up being these uh, uh, vacuous, empty shells simply to push a particular political narrative or political agenda films were used that as a medium for as at least since the beginning really people were making stories and injecting their uh, personal politics into these things forever that's never going to stop the fact that there's the prevalence of big blockbuster films that have these kinds of ideological baggage well, the, the prevalence, at least, is fairly new. Well, at least with this kind of ideology. So, I wouldn't really worry overly much. All you have to do is just not spend any money on, if it's just a one-off like Ghostbusters 2016, don't spend any money on it, don't go, don't watch it, don't bother. Wait till it comes out on rental. Wait till it comes out on the red box or on Netflix or Hulu or wherever the hell they decide to slap that hot hot mile I hate that film so much it makes my tongue tied it's a hot pile of shit let's just put it that way wait till it gets on streaming you're already paying for the streaming service then you don't have to feel so bad about giving anyone money because frankly you're not spending any more or less to watch it I don't know that's what I did I never bothered to watch it in theaters Looked like a hot mess in a trailer. I sure as hell wasn't going to subject myself to that with the cost of a theater ticket. Are you insane? I have better things to do with my time and money. When it came to the Star Wars films, they didn't feel the crunch so much, though they did see the decline in uh, monetary takes at the box office because the three big films made their money. Uh, Rogue One... Uh, because it came off the tail, if I recall... Am I recalling that correctly? I, did it come out before or after? It came out around the time of J.J. Abrams' first, the first film, uh, The Force Awakens. You know, just before or just after. And so there was still a lot of goodwill. And people were willing to give a lot of the issues of that film a pass. And then they noticed that there was... When you got to Ryan Johnson's, it made its money. It made quite a bit of money. 
but immediately there was a problem. Lots of people were really pissed off and upset with that film. And then there was the Solo, a Star Wars story that came out, the Han Solo movie, and it, there's no other word for it, it tanked. It just tanked. And there were more than a few people who were trying to say, no, no, you see, that was, uh, it's franchise fatigue, horseshit. They saw a movie that absolutely pissed them off, and they no longer wanted to pay money to see it. And the third one, that was J.J. Abrams helmed, and it was this incredible mess, and so many people are like falling over themselves to try and defend it. I don't think it's defensible. I really don't. It's simply J.J. Abrams doing the best that he can to clean up a mess Ryan Johnson made that, honestly, Abrams was not really that well-suited unless you gave him a really good, strong writing team, and he just didn't have that before in the first film or the third. So, be that as it may. That was kind of a rambly discussion about film budgets and so on and so forth. Fork. So forth. But, you know, that's that's some information and a lot of my opinion. But, that's all I've got for today. So, until next time, stay safe out there. And I'll see you all later.